Hello and welcome to One Light, Dialogues on Religion with Dr. Farhad Shafti and your host, Veronica Polo. In this series of talks, Farhad and I discuss the role of religion and spirituality using the Islamic tradition as our framework, while simultaneously searching for universal truths that go beyond religious affiliation. Join us on our journey to untangle common misconceptions and deepen our understanding of the monotheistic tradition and beyond. Salam alaikum, everybody. Today we have not only Dr. Farhad Shafti, but we have a friend that we're going to interview. So there's going to be three of us talking today. We have James Coates. And today's episode, I believe we're going to call The Convert Experience. And hopefully this is uh, something that James is going to help me with because he is somebody that chose to become Muslim um, in his early days. We'll talk about that in a moment, but we're going to try to address what that means in general to be a convert. Now, in very, very general terms, I happen to know a lot of people who have switched faiths whether it be becoming a Jew, becoming a born-again Christian. And I always find that whole process really interesting. And ultimately, I feel that this happens because we are spiritual beings. I feel that that is something that is innate in us, and we seek that. And so we will research and look until we find a path that spiritually nourishes us. Now, our podcast focuses specifically on the Islamic faith. So James is going to tell us about his experience as a Muslim, and we'll talk a little bit about what it means to be a Muslim convert in general. Now, I'm not a fan of the word convert, and I don't think James is either, but we don't really have an alternative term. Uh, Basically, we just refer to someone that has chosen that faith at some point in their lives. So with that, James, welcome. Thank you for having me, Veronica. And Farhad. Assalamu alaikum to everybody. <clears throat> and um, I'm very happy to have James here. I'm very excited about it. And I'm going to listen to your conversation. And if I had any comments somewhere, I will try to make that comment. So yes, please go ahead. Okay. So if you don't mind, James, maybe we can just go back to the beginning and see what your life was like, for example, as a child, were you brought up in any particular religion? Or what was your relationship like with religion when you were growing up? Well, I was brought up in a Roman Catholic family. Um, My uh, parents on both sides had very deep Italian roots, and um, Italians naturally gravitate towards Roman Catholicism. I was um, baptized and confirmed in the Roman Catholic Church, went to Catholic school for uh, year one and year two. And um, since then, uh, I was Catholic up until age 14. Mm -hmm. And I believe that you changed her faith at some point? Yes, my mother. um, My parents went through quite a rough time, and they eventually got divorced and uh, split up. And I lived with my father. So my mom, she moved to a place in Edwardsville, Illinois, and joined a uh, evangelical Christian church. It's quite a small church, about 16 or 17 members. And this church eventually, uh, I found out, to uh, was a very authoritarian sort of violent cult type church, unlike many of the churches out there that are probably pretty loving parishes or um, communities for people. I left my my um, uh, my father's household. I was a troubled teen at that point, kind of struggling for guidance. And I went to live with my mother and ended up uh, becoming a born again, uh, baptized in fire, tongue-speaking believer in Christianity at that point. Mm -hmm. And what was it like to be a part of this community? At first, it was, you know, a sense of being um, taken care of. I was there for about two years, but over the course of two years, gradually, um, the authoritarian aspect of this church would um, 
would come out. And um, I had a very strict schedule where I would have to wake up at 6.30 every morning. And uh, I would probably go to bed maybe about two o'clock the next morning. So very little sleep, a lot of work, Bible reading, Bible study. And these things were reinforced through quite brutal means like uh, beatings or stress, I don't know what they call it, stress uh, tests, you know, where you have to stand up for a lengthy period of time and um, stuff like that. So it was quite hard. But in the end, it got so bad that I eventually fled for my life. I actually feared that I was going to die there. When I left, I was so indoctrinated by what they had taught me that I thought that a fireball would come and consume the bus that I was on leaving the the church because I was out of the will of God now. And now Satan had free reign on my life. And that's how much I feared actually leaving. And it took a lot of courage to go back and live with my father at that point. Mm. Okay. So did your relationship or idea of religion sort of degrade after that? Or were you still open? What happened? I always, from a child, believed in God. And always, whether I loved him or I expressed hatred for God, I always believed God was there and a part of my life. And when I left that church, I didn't blame Christianity. I didn't blame God. Um, but I blamed the people who had misused religion in that fashion. So I think that I never really left belief in, in religion per se. I mean, I believed in God. I might not have subscribed to their, uh, their viewpoints anymore. But when I got back to Chicago, where my, my father lived, um, I still involved myself in a church. I joined the First Assembly of God Church in Wheaton, Illinois, and um, became an active part of the youth group there. Mm-hmm. And so what led you to Islam eventually? Well, I never really deprogrammed from this, uh, this cult. And um, I always felt like it had some sort of hold on me. And I was married at the time and uh, living in England. My wife at the time was um, in the U.S. Air Force. I was working part-time on an Air Force base, and I decided I had a lot of time on my hands to devote to the study of religion and to deprogram myself from what I thought was hanging on to me. I wanted to know exactly what, Jim, what do you believe? You know, what, what, how do you know this is true? Uh, you know, there's, there's different viewpoints, different ideologies out there. What, what is it you believe? And so I wanted to know a lot more about my own personal Christian faith. So what I did is I picked up a Bible. I picked up a uh, Strong's Concordance with all the Greek and the Hebrew and all that stuff that, you know, that would probably make people fall asleep. And I studied the Bible, um, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I started to dig out some themes about what I believed the original sort of Christianity was all about and who the figure of Jesus was. So at that point, I wanted to know about Jesus. I wanted to know about his life. And um, I discovered that he, you know, I mean, you don't really see it when you're doing Bible studies a lot, but when you study more in depth, you find out that Jesus, he taught in the synagogues. He debated with, you know, with some of the top rabbis of his time. He observed a lot of Jewish um, holidays, like the Festival of Lights and Hanukkah or Day of Atonement, you know, where you have to go to the temple and sacrifice. And that really intrigued me. And one of the things that intrigued me even more so was the idea that he also taught that God is one. And I decided at that point that I wanted to study Judaism. I thought, you know what, if Jesus was so deeply entrenched in Jewish belief, I wanted to know about that because I wanted to know more about my my, my Christianity. So I went to the synagogue. Let me back up a little bit. I moved back to the United States and to the Chicago area, and I found a synagogue, an Orthodox synagogue that I went to. And I made a lot of friends there, and I started attending uh, conversion classes uh, with the rabbi there. 
but mainly because I wanted to know more about Judaism at first. So I learned about Judaism, about the unique oneness of God, as in no partners, that even if I wanted to become Jewish, that I could not ascribe partners. And I started to think and go back to the New Testament, and I thought, wow, you know, what Jesus says could very much be in line with this, that he never really believed that he was God, you know, that he taught there was one God. Um, But the only thing about Judaism. I started to actively seek conversion to Judaism at some point, is that you cannot believe that Jesus is even a figure, a historical figure, let alone the Messiah or Christ of Israel. Um, So, I, at that point, you know, I did believe that I was no longer Christian. I believe that I was on a path out of Christianity, and I was actively seeking, you know, Jewish conversion classes. So I took a, at that point, I took a break from religion for about religious studies for about six months and uh, came back to it. And I thought to myself, you know what? I didn't really study this other Abrahamic faith. And the reason why I thought that this other Abrahamic faith was my conditioning in the evangelical churches. We all were always taught that it was a faith that was from the devil, that Muhammad, peace be upon him, was deceived. And so we stayed clear away from any sort of communication or discussion about that. And I started working in a retail store as a manager in Evanston, Illinois. And um, I had some Muslim friends who were working for me. And they would ask me if they can do their, their prayers in my office. And Naturally, I said, you know, okay, you know, that's great because I'm happy to facilitate, you know, spirituality. And um, we got to talking about religion and I told them about my background, my history, uh, studying, you know, the Bible and, uh, and with Judaism. And they, they told me about Islam and we started talking about uh, Islam and they asked me if I wanted a Quran. So I picked up a Quran and started reading it. And uh, one of the things that really impressed me, I think the most, because at this point, the issue for me was the oneness of God. And one of the things that impressed me the most was the monotheism of Islam. And it very much is the same as in Judaism. And with Christianity, even though they have the concept of monotheism, the idea of partnering with God, uh, Jesus or the Holy Spirit, didn't really jive. But the Islamic monotheism really spoke to me. And so I just delved more and more into the Quran, and I began to um, come home every day. And back in those days, I think it was uh, the mid-90s or uh, 1995, I started uh, going home every day and um, dialing up to uh, AOL online, which was an extremely slow process back then and quite expensive as well. And uh, there was many different sorts of chat rooms, and one of them was an Islamic chat room. And I would hit that Islamic chat room daily and um, ask all sorts of questions about Islam. And then I would go back to the Quran and I would read the Quran and and I would even go back to some portions of the Bible and, and read those portions. It just intrigued me. So I met these two sisters in the Islamic chat room. They seemed to be the ones who, who answered most of my questions. And I could ask all of the hard questions and they would not become angry or defensive or anything. And it just kind of drew me in. So I asked questions like, um, you know, what, what if I became Muslim? you know, and I decided it wasn't for me. Do you have to kill apostates? And of course, they would answer that question. Of course not, you know, or uh, things like the moon god. Uh, we were taught in the in the churches that, you know, Muslims worship the moon god. And uh, of course, they would point out the place in the Quran that says, no, don't worship the sun or the moon, um, but worship God alone. And, um, you know, they had a lot of patience for me. And, and one night I came home from work and, and I did this uh, again. And they says, well, you know what? You ask a, a lot of questions and you seem to be very interested. And in, do you want to go to the mosque and uh, and meet the sheikh there? And um, of course, I was put on the spot 
at that point, I didn't even know there was a mosque near me. I thought I might have to travel many miles to get to one. But uh, lo and behold, they found one that was just one mile away from me. It was amazing. I did not see it. I must have driven by it so many times. The uh, Mosque Foundation in Bridgeview, Illinois. It's a big beige mosque with a huge green dome. You can't really miss it. But I missed it every time I drove by there. So um, I said, sure, yeah, uh, let's let's do that. And um, so we did that that very night. I dropped everything, logged off from AOL, and walked out of the house and drove to the mosque to meet these two sisters. And uh, so I, I got out of the car and I very cautiously approached them because I was honestly, I was quite scared. Even though I was meeting two sisters, they should probably be more scared of some strange guy coming up to their car. But I was actually scared. So I approached them uh, very cautiously and, and, and they said hello. And they gave me, uh, made small talk and gave me a uh, Quran and uh, a prayer rug. And they says, well, we, we arranged for you to meet the, the sheikh here. And uh, you can just go in. And they told me where the office was and everything. I was just about to go. And I said, well, wait a minute. Uh, is this a Shia or a Sunni mosque? And uh, they told me something that stuck in my mind, even to this day, and I always talk about it. And they says, you know what, it doesn't matter. It only matters that you become Muslim. These differences, you know, they said, we are Shia, and we teach at this mosque, but the mosque is a Sunni mosque, but you shouldn't worry about these divisions. And they said, the most important thing is that you're Muslim. And that stuck with me even to this day. And I always talk about it when I talk to people. And so they sent me on my way. And I went into the mosque just outside the office where they told me to go. So I'm standing there and everybody's looking at me like, you know, who is this guy just standing here? You know, it's an, obviously a new face. And I was, I was really, really nervous. And uh, so I started chatting with people and I told them, you know, why I was there. And they says, well, you know, the, the sheikh will be here shortly. And so we waited a few moments and the sheikh came in and you can tell when the sheikh came in because everybody, j their heads gravitated towards him. He, they, he just had a commanding presence and um, very nice and gentle presence, but obviously everybody respected him and you can tell that. And he walked over and the, the brothers there introduced me to him and, and told him why I was there. And at that point, the uh, Adan for Maghreb sounded. And it was, to me, hearing it for the very first time. That was the first time I ever heard it. And, you know, and it was probably the most beautiful sound that I had ever heard. And the Sheikh says, well, I have to perform prayers. But if you want to come in and observe into that prayer hall, you can. But I, I was so scared. I did not want to leave that spot. I stayed right there by the office. He says, okay, that's, that's fine. We'll talk when you come back. So they did, they did Salat and came back and we, uh, we went into the office and we talked. And so he went through the five pillars and the basic beliefs of a Muslim. And he invited a director in towards the end of it. And uh, he just asked me, so you believe all of these things, do you want to become a Muslim? And at that point, I believed I was a Muslim. I went through all of the discussion with him and I thought, you know what, I want to be a Muslim. And uh, so in front of the director, he led me in the Shahada. And right after he led me in the Shahada, the Adhan for Isha prayer sounded. And so he invited me, he says, now you can come and not worry, just follow along. It doesn't matter if you make a mistake, just follow along and uh, makes a lot with us. And so I went and they invited me to the front row. And of course, I was still very nervous at this point. And uh, we did Isha prayer. And uh, after Isha prayer, he stood up and he told the entire congregation, this must have been 100, 100 plus people there, that he had a special announcement for them. And he said that Brother Jim uh, decided to come in and for his New Year's Eve resolution, decided to become a Muslim. He made a joke out of it and everybody just busted out with laughter. And at that point, one of the people in the masjid shouted takbir and the whole masjid just shouted Allahu Akbar 
three times and it was just a thundering sound and it was just for me it was an overwhelming sense of i've come home that's what i felt when i became muslim in that moment at that time and that was december 31st 1996 new year's eve mm-hmm. that's a beautiful story beautiful story so has it been smooth sailing since then it has not been smooth sailing to be honest um i would like to say yeah it it has been um it's usually not it's like you know the wedding is beautiful the bride is beautiful the groom is beautiful but (laughs) that's when the movie ends right you don't want to know what happens afterwards because it's usually messy and complicated and yeah and you know when the mother-in-law comes in (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i'll just say that it is an elated feeling at first and that lasts for a while and then you find that for so many years you've been trying to absorb so much information about things that doesn't end even though i have a sense that i've come home that thirst for knowledge doesn't end and that's where a lot of new converts for lack of a better word new muslims let's say um start to feel the rubber meet the road Mm-hmm. What are some of the commonalities that you find? Because I assume that you you probably know a lot of converts in your circles, and I do too. What are some of the commonalities of both the positive and the negative experiences that happen after they become Muslim? I mean, everybody has an individual story, so there obviously there's great variation, but I've also noticed some very similar themes. So what would you say those are? I think that, uh, for one, we tend to experience a sense of acceptance in a community that maybe we didn't experience prior. Maybe not in every case, but I think a lot of new Muslims do feel very much welcomed in their communities. And I also tend to think that it's very eye-opening for us, not just on a spiritual level, but more in terms of the world, because now we're interacting with many different types of people, like different social classes or educational classes. I mean, the very nature of Salat is that it equals us all out. We're praying right next to somebody who might be a different national origin or ethnicity or social class or, you know, educational class or different, just a different type of person than we are. And when we interact with these people, suddenly our world opens up. Because a lot of times, you know, we stay in our own little bubble and we don't really know anybody from outside of our our families or our close friends. But when you're interacting with people in the Muslim community in, uh, let's just say, our Western or non-Muslim countries, we tend to learn a lot about the world, not just our, our local city or town or our own country. So it really, I think, is an eye-opener to an entire world that we never really experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for somebody that has grown up in a culture which can be quite materialistic, I'm, I'm speaking about the United States in particular, where sort of the economic drive is is what you feel the most impetus. So you're going to move to another place because there's a better job that there's not so much family cohesion necessarily. Everything seems to have a monetary value. So I think that when you enter a Muslim community, you feel like there's a spiritual value and understanding to everything that's done. And so those that have been thirsting for that all of a sudden find themselves in a context that values things differently. Um, everything in life can all of a sudden have a spiritual meaning. The way that you bless food before you eat it, or the way that you say a a blessing when you walk into your house. So you learn a different way of interacting with the world that can be quite beautiful. And then this idea that, you know, all of a sudden you have all these brothers and sisters just you're calling people brothers and sisters and it actually makes you feel closer to people when you use those terms because you see everybody as a human family. And even though you may hear those things in general, like we're we're a human family, I feel like within a Muslim community, I've actually palpably felt that more than I have outside of that. 
I think generally speaking, the Muslim community is very welcoming. But the sense of brotherhood that we have, it's icing on the cake. It makes it a lot more palatable and meaningful for us, I think. You can be welcomed in any community. If you go to a church, you can be welcomed into a church or uh, you know, synagogue. You know, they're very welcoming there. And for me personally, when I go to the mosque, it's, you know, they, they might welcome me, but there's a, a connection there now that is very special of brotherhood. And this connection isn't just within a congregation, because now you have people in a congregation who are from all over the world. Now that connection suddenly, it opens your heart to everybody in the world and maybe what's going on in their lives, maybe to empathize with them a little bit more, because now you know somebody maybe of that national origin or that ethnicity or that tribe or or, or whatnot. And in the Quran, I think this is one of the things, you know, that Allah wants us to understand is that there is no difference between us. We all basically are human beings and we want the same thing. And the message of, of the Quran is to guide us towards that light. So what are the what are the challenges James that you see with choosing to become a Muslim either from outside of the Muslim community or within the Muslim community? Well from outside I think for new Muslims they can be quite obvious uh, with regards to family and uh, family concerns about converting or friends who are concerned about converting maybe based off of what they have seen in the media or news and what they have been told Islam should be versus what you're experiencing. You're experiencing a very loving community, um, a community that's accepting, one that you know believes in, in good things and uh, the highest moral values, but are being told something different. So one of the challenges, I think, is that your family or friends might be concerned or fearful for what you're going through. So I think to combat that would be to, rather than changing your appearances, let's say suddenly wearing a kufi or Arabic clothing, rather to focus more on the heart. What is making you a better person? Because that's really why we convert to Islam is to, to add something to ourselves, to, to our lives and to become better. And I think that will alleviate people's fears. I think that's that's one thing. Another thing that we maybe touched on a little earlier, but I didn't go into, was when you first become a Muslim and you have that thirst for knowledge, one of the things that we come up against is to be fed that knowledge in an organized way. A lot of times in, in the Muslim communities, you are grasping to try to find out about this or about that. One instance for me was, well, what is Sunnah? And I got three or four different answers what Sunnah is, and I got completely confused. So it took me a while to figure out what, you know, what is Sunnah when you say Sunnah? Um, you know, is it is it a book? Is it the way of the Prophet? Um, is it something the Prophet said or, you know, approved of or whatever? So I had to figure these things out for myself, which was very, very difficult. Now, one of the things that helped me, and it helped me, but it also eventually harmed me in a way, uh, or let's not say harm, but it was not very beneficial to me, was um, many people that become Muslim um, experience a lot of different groups approach them to try to teach them in their ways. So it might be an ideological group, could be uh, people that have just a particular way of practicing or studying or, or whatever. But one group that approached me brought me in and they taught me a lot of these things. But in the end, that probably brought me to have one of the greatest trials of being a Muslim. And what are you referring to? One of the greatest trials of being a Muslim is to find out that people that are close to you might be lured into committing a crime or uh, lured by extremists to, to do things that they probably would not ordinarily have done. And that 
question of what what do you do as a Muslim? And you're a relatively new Muslim. Maybe I think I was a Muslim five years at that time when that happened. Is a very very difficult thing. It, it it's something that you really need to question yourself about and why you've become Muslim. And the reason why I say that joining a group brought this to me was not only were they part of this group, but it was an ideology where even though they did not approve of such actions, they also did not approve of doing anything about such actions. They wanted to keep things within the group. And so how do you deal with that as a new Muslim? Do you go outside of the group to the authorities or do you do you deal with that within the group and maybe something happens, you know, that, that would cause more caste dispersions on the group. So this doesn't happen with most Muslims, but right. with, with me, it did. And I think that there is a danger with regards to getting involved with groups. Now, the group that I was involved with was not an extremist group by any means. It's quite mainstream, but when you are, studying within a group, your mind becomes compartmentalized. Sometimes it becomes closed. So when you become a Muslim, you become a Muslim because your mind is open. But a lot of groups, exactly. they close your mind. And whether it be a medheb or a sect or some sort of ideology, suddenly you're othering other people. You know, well, mm. we don't follow that medheb. We don't follow this ideology. Don't follow those people over there. And your mind becomes closed. And as a new Muslim, that's not what you want. You want your mind to be open. That's one of the tragedies that I see is that for somebody to be interested in studying Islam takes a lot of courage based on what you, you hear in the media. And so the people that I know that have become interested in Islam and have become Muslim are generally highly intelligent, highly sensitive people. And some of them have gotten lucky and have surrounded themselves with other people who have helped them to make the transition well. And other people get absorbed into groups that are um, very closed or have very literalist interpretations. I know of a woman that, that married a sheikh who was very strict and was what turned out to be quite an abusive marriage and but she sort of became indoctrinated into his worldview because we have to realize that the way that that islam is practiced is far-ranging there's a lot of different expressions mm -hmm. of of islam a lot of interpretations and you can get some very very literal very strict communities and teachers so for those people that found their way to islam because of their goodness and their sense of inquiry and then sort of got trapped in these very toxic situations and then eventually left and tell their story it's it's heartbreaking for me um and it happens more often than than i would like to have happen um and sometimes i wonder if there's any way to remedy that but i don't know that there is because you know, um, religion, whether we're talking about Islam or Christianity or Judaism, they all have different levels of expressions and literalism and and everybody's path is different. And for a lot of us, sometimes we have an easier path and sometimes we have a more difficult path. And you could even argue that going through uh, extreme trials may make us wiser in some way. I don't know. Do you feel like you're wiser uh, because of everything that you've been through? I think that I had a sh real shakeup in my faith when these trials happened to me because it uprooted me from my community and made me question, why did you become a Muslim? Why? You know, should you still be a Muslim? Mm -hmm. But deep in my heart, I always believed in God I believed in Allah. I believed in all of my research and everything that I, my spiritual path that went along with the research. And it made me go back to the roots. And that's one of the reasons why I talk about these two sisters a lot. 
because now I like to tell people we are Muslims first. Everything that is permitted, somebody on Facebook reminded me of this today, everything that is permitted or prohibited came later. We're all Muslims first, and that's where we need to be. The very last wish of the Prophet was that we be united in a brotherhood. And Allah gave us this religion for all of humanity. He didn't just give it to people who will believe. He gave it to the to all of humanity as a reminder, it says in the Quran. And so I think that causing me to go back to the basics of why I became a Muslim made me a lot wiser today than I probably would have been if I would have just stayed the course, put my head down, and stayed within that group mentality of we believe what's right, everybody believes differently or believes wrongly. To me, I am a much wiser person today having gone through those trials than if I wasn't. And every day that I, I do my salat and I pray and I thank Allah every single day that God brought me through all of that and gave me something better today. You wrote something on social media that I really liked a lot, so I'm going to to quote you. Uh, you wrote that there was once a time when I thought that I did every Islamic duty correctly. If I were to be judged by you from outward appearance, I lived the perfect Islamic life, fulfilling every duty, and I had amassed a lot of knowledge of the faith. But I lacked wisdom, mercy, and understanding of my position as a servant of Allah rather than his mouthpiece. We need to spend more time on acquiring interpersonal skills and critical thinking, what I call applied Islamics, and less time acting as a mouthpiece of God. Our judgments harm people and ultimately amount to the worst sin of all, which is shirk, by placing ourselves intermediaries between us and God. Side note, don't confuse discernment for judgment. They're very different things. I think that's nice. And I think that that's usually the journey that a lot of converts go through in the sense that they become very studious. They try to acquire as much knowledge as they can, which is good. I mean, there's a part of that which is to be expected and quite necessary. But it's those heart sciences and that ability to learn to make that connection with God that is the ultimate path, the ultimate goal, I think, of being a Muslim. Farhad, do you want to say anything? Um, yes, um, I think I can say a few things. Thank you, James. One thing that is important is that understanding and realizing that although every religion may have official authorities, okay, so like for instance, if you are a Catholic Christian, and obviously the church has the authority, the Pope will say what is right and what is wrong. If you are a Muslim, then uh, again, if you are a Shia, then perhaps that, as they call it, the point of reference that you have, that person will tell you what is right and what is wrong. If you are a Sunni, then again, that imam or that clergyman that you believe in will tell you what is right and what is wrong. So officially, there are always points of authority in every religion. But uh, beyond that official surface, in a more conceptual aspect of it, there is no authority in any religion. You know, uh, the only authority in Islam would be Prophet Muhammad, and he is not among us. The only authority in Judaism is Moses, and he is not among us. The only authority in Christianity would be Jesus, and he's not among us. So what then happens is that people, based on what they have learned from their parents and teachers, etc., they tend to then associate themselves with a particular community. And the structure of every community, what calls something community by definition, would be a group of people who have the same approach and same view about something. That same approach and that same view is normally hanging to an authority, comes from an authority. So the whole mindset of community is a mindset where there is an authority somewhere. Now imagine that somebody like James enters into this whole population of Muslims. Very randomly, James will end up with one of these communities. And uh, well, I think those two sisters that you met first, I think you were very lucky, James, to, to find those sisters, not just because they, they guided you towards something that you felt comfortable with in terms of religion, 
but also because when you raised these sectarian issues, the answer that you received was that that doesn't matter. You could easily end up with some other brothers or sisters who would tell you that actually matters a lot. Uh, so you were very lucky in that. But what I'm saying is that when somebody like James then enters into this population, <clears throat> uh, he will end up with one of these communities. And immediately this mindset of, oh, there is an authority. This is the definition of sunnah. This is the definition of hadith. This is the way that you need to read your prayers. This is the number of non-obligatory prayers that you need to do. Uh, these are the people that you can hang up with, and these are the people who you should not be with. Uh, these things will come to this new Muslim as definite statements. Then the rest of the story uh, will depend on the individual. A person may stick with that community and decide that, okay, I'm happy with this and I stay with this. And when I'm saying staying, I don't mean just, just staying as friend, but staying in terms of accepting all that authority. What a person may, like James, think about and decide that maybe I don't want to accept all that authority. I want to see what other views and opinions are available. And I think there are different kinds of people who change their religions no matter to which religion they change it to. The category that James is coming from, and this is not the only category, but the category that James is coming from would be those individuals who are really and genuinely are searching for what they would believe would be an ideal religion for them, ideal spiritual path for them. So one of the characteristics of people in this category will be that they have an open mind. They are free in their thinking. They allow themselves, okay, this didn't work for me. I want to go on and search into Judaism. That didn't work for me. I want to see what Islam has to tell me. This sense of freedom, this is one of the characteristics of people in this category. What I'm thinking, James, is that this thinking and this feature needs to stay with people like yourself, as it has stayed with you perfectly. This sense of, you know, I'm, I'm not obliged to sign that for the rest of my life, this way of thinking is going to be my way of thinking. I keep that freedom with me. So you keep that freedom with you within this religion of Islam. And wherever you find that, okay, I don't feel comfortable with this, you will move to another way of understanding it. I think... It will be blessing for people like myself who are born Muslims, and I would say the same thing for other religions as well. It will be blessing for us to have people like you in our religion because you will spread that freedom of thinking that some of us may lose because naturally we were born into this way of thinking. Show me one religion, Abrahamic or non-Abrahamic, where there is only one category of followers in that religion. Every religion has different sects. That's Buddhism, Sikhism, Hinduism, Muslim, Jew, Christian. Show me one religion that does not have sects. I don't think it exists, at least not among the established religions. Thinking about it this way, then the second question is, what is the guarantee that out of all these sects, one of them, has all the good things with them. What is the guarantee that, you know, necessarily one of these six are saying all the truth and the rest are all saying false things? There's no guarantee there. So if thinking about it this way, I always think that a religion is like a foundation. If you like, it's like some wax that is in front of you. It is then up to us how to use this foundation, how to use that wax to build what works for us. I have my own religion of Islam. Veronica has her own religion of Islam. James has his own version of Islam. And this is the beauty of it. If I then try to argue that, no, you need to have my version of understanding Islam, that goes against the very nature of religion that is supposed to be something that has to do with my or your personal uh, relationship with the Almighty, which is something very personal. Yeah, and you talked about uh, implicitly, James, about uh, situations where there were people who perhaps were doing extremist 
things and it was a question what should we do at that situation and uh, it reminded me a few years ago i was talking somewhere and then somebody asked me what should we do if we find that among the muslim community if you find that somebody is involved in extremist and terrorism activities how should we approach that person and my answer was that you should not approach that person should approach the police you should report that person to the police this thinking that because we are now in this community no matter what we need to defend each other we should not expose any wrong thing out of this community this has no religious basis it goes against the very verses of the quran if you look at for instance chapter 3 verse 135 uh, and i just read english to make it quick believers be the supporters of justice and the testify to what you may have witnessed for the sake of god even against yourselves parents and relatives so you know that parents mother father are among the most uh, respected relatives in the quran you know the quran says you know worship god and be good to your parents but here it says even if it is against your parents you need to stay with justice and then another verse that would look at the other side of the same coin that is chapter 5 verse 8 again the translation goes like believers be steadfast for the cause of god and just in bearing witness let not a group's hostility to you cause you to deviate from justice now this time this the other side of the coin says that sometimes this justice may work to the benefit of the people who may be your enemies still if it is justice you need to stay with it you cannot say well you know there are there are enemies they are not in our community so the two verses together are actually suggesting one thing and that is justice is justice and who it is against uh, who will be benefit from it who will lose about uh, from it that has no bearing here it's just justice so james you yourself have evolved in the way that you relate to islam it sounds like um how do you see islam evolving and what would be your idea of islam in the future if that's even something that's answerable um i think that islam was given to all of humanity and as i've said before and also the prophet's last wish was to be a united people so on this basis i would probably have to give a twofold answer um first i think that we as a muslim community worldwide need to steer towards things that would show the world the best of us so things like social economic racial justice um environmental issues especially i know i've been in a lot of muslim countries where we could probably work on that more immediately in our own countries as well as maybe muslims who are in the west can help western countries uh, with environmental issues um these sorts of things i think probably are the future of islam because if if islam is a religion where we just sit in a in a circle and we recite quran and we study hadith we climb let's just say we climb that mountain top and just focus on spirituality then it doesn't benefit anybody and we don't fulfill the very verses of the quran where it says that that the quran was a reminder to all mankind because now it becomes a reminder just to us but not to mankind so james for a new convert okay i understand and it is totally understandable that one challenge would be of course the convert's relatives friends etc etc when when they when they become muslim then uh, there might be challenges with people who did not know that person as a muslim mm-hmm. uh, but that is from outside of the muslim community i'm more interested to hear from the inside of the muslim community what things may bother the person who becomes a muslim now one of them i think we managed to talk about a bit and that was 
who has the authority? And I try to say, but no one has the authority. No one has, no one can say that my version of Islam is the correct version of Islam. I mean, everybody can say it, but no one can force others to accept that version. If you want to talk along the same line, are there any other things from inside the community that will become challenging perhaps for a new Muslim? Uh, well, I think one of the challenges for a lot of converts like myself, it's kind of a blessing and a challenge at the same time, is the expectation to be involved in, in a lot of events to put responsibility on you. I mean, you are, after all, one of the converts um, who is local. Uh, a lot of our communities in like, like America um, largely are people who have immigrated. Some of them are first generation but um, I think when you come from outside of, let's say, a Muslim country uh, or being uh, an ethnicity from a Muslim country, you're actually in from that country, like America. People seem to put a lot of weight on you to be able to show other Americans, let's say, what Islam really is, because from their perspective, that Americans don't really understand Islam. And the only person who can show them Islam is somebody who's converted from America, right? Not, not, a, not a first generation or even, or somebody who's immigrated there. They want someone who's born and raised in America, who's converted, who can go out and show what Islam is. And this is a blessing, but it's also it's a double-edged sword because at the same time you can become so overwhelmed by the responsibility and in my case um, i was very much relied on for a lot of things um, that began to put a lot of personal pressure on me and on my family and it got to the point where I couldn't go anywhere to any masjid without people overwhelming me with kindness, which is wonderful, right? But you don't want to stay after Salat um, to, at the masjid all night long after you work each day talking about this issue or that issue. You want time with your family. It will be a celebrity situation some kind. Sometimes, yeah. And um, uh, But if you, if you let it go that far, um, it can be overwhelming and it can cause burnout and with that said you know i would just advise any new muslims to just take baby steps you know take only on the little bit of responsibility that you feel comfortable with as long as you have enough time for your family you know in yourself sometimes because a lot of times you need self-time um you know you can devote a little bit of time Another thing that I find quite hairy is um, becoming involved straight away in political sorts of events. I mean, when we become Muslim, we we want to be able to solve the world's problems sometimes. And so, you know, there's an issue right now with uh, with Israel and Gaza, right? And I know that it's a very important issue and, and we should be concerned with it. But a lot of times I think that that when we get involved, we get involved with things like protests and other political sorts of things. But really what's happening, if we really think about how we are going to be most effective, it will probably be in the humanitarian side right now because we're not we're not international lawyers or politicians that we can solve these things. Might be able to send off an email to our congressman. But the people that are really hurting right now at this very moment they need medicine and food and you know shelter um that's where we can be most effective that said uh that goes along with the caveat that we should only devote as much time um that we can uh without affecting our families because that can get quite overwhelming and when you get burned out like that then all of a sudden you want to step back away from the community, and that's something you don't want. Yeah. The way I try to see it, just think the same thing that you said uh, in my own words, is that what is the reason that person is even interested in religion? I suppose the reason should be, or primarily is, for, for spiritual purification. Mm -hmm. 
that in fact, which in Arabic is called tazkiyah, according to the Quran, in one word, what is the criteria to reach success in the hereafter, that's, that's tazkiyah, spiritual purification. What in one word, again, according to the Quran, what's the reason that there is a religion, that God sends religion, God sends prophets, again, it's tazkiyah, it's spiritual purification. If we think about it that way, then this whole story of searching for the truth and changing from this belief to another belief, going from this community to another community, etc., etc., all of this is our journey towards finding a path that can help us with spiritual purification. So once we are there, it will be important to make sure that anything that may interfere with our spiritual purification, we should be aware of it and we should try to control it. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that, oh, all that matters is that individually we become good people and let's not care about what is happening in Palestine and other places. That's not what I'm saying. But in all these interactions and activities and communities, etc., Whenever we find that this is affecting me psychologically in a negative way, for some reason I'm feeling uh, I'm not in my best spiritual situation when I'm doing this, when I'm with those people or when I'm talking about this thing. If that happens for the sake of the very reason that we choose to be religious, which is spiritual purification, we need to control it. We need to come out of it. We need to find our own way. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Another thing that uh, I didn't hear it from you, but I've heard it from some other people who become Muslim and they find it difficult, is this uh, sort of view that is somehow imposed on them. That, okay, so you became Muslim, so you are good, and hopefully, inshallah, you will go to heaven. But unfortunately, your parents and brothers and sisters, they all will go to hell because they're not Muslims. Well, Veronica knows, yeah, I've talked about this a lot. I don't want to go back to those material, but this is absolutely baseless. It's against the very explicit verses of the Quran, and I've brought those verses before and can go through them again, but it's absolutely not true. Anybody who is in his own honest understanding is trying to be a good person should have a hope to be in a, in a very good situation at the end of the days and in the hereafter. Uh, it has nothing to do with what is the label that we are doing these things under that label. It is not important whether you are labeled as Jew or Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or whatever. As long as with our most honest understanding, we are trying to be a better person, that's what God expects from us. And this again is verse of the Quran that says, and then verse goes on. Basically, the meaning of the verse is that whether you're Muslim or, or Jew or Christian or Sabain, who was sect in Arabia at the time, what really matters if you have a true faith in the Almighty and the hereafter and do righteous things, then you will have nothing to worry about. And uh, have nothing to to be fearful of that's the main thing hmm. well this has been a wonderful conversation i think this is a great place to to end this and thank you so much for joining us james for telling us your story and for helping us to think a little bit about um what the muslim convert experience is like and I think that, you know, we enjoy hearing stories about conversion, or at least I do, I think because it's the sort of peak experience of uh, finding something that's right for you, an important step on your path. But then ultimately, our whole lives are, are a path and we continue until our deathbed, we continue learning and we continue growing and it's an, an ever continuing journey. So we're all on that journey and learning every day, hopefully. Um, so thank you. It's been wonderful to be in, in your company, both of you. 
Can I say something? Can I say something? Um, I, I noticed a number of times you said that you do not like the word convert. Um, I, I try to make it in a way that maybe we, we, we start to, to like it. Uh, I, I think um, a true seeker of the truth and a true believer in God should always be a convert. Every day, every day we need to convert, convert to a better understanding, a better understanding of the truth, better understanding of the religion <clears throat> that we are working towards. If our understanding remains the same from when we were like 15, 16 years old to the end of our life, that may not necessarily be a very good news. I'm not saying it's definitely not a good news, but it may not necessarily be a very good news. There is a hadith that is narrated from the Prophet that says, Man mahbun, The one whose two days are equal and the same, he's losing something. Now, I'm sure the Prophet was not talking about economic gains <laughs> between the two days. It's really about trying to do better and also trying to understand the truth better. So in a way, I think each one of us Every human being has the duty to be a convert, convert in the meaning that every day his understanding should progress and should improve and should become better than the day before. So maybe in that sense, the word convert is not such a terrible word. And it's related to turning our face towards God. Every minute, every second, we turn again. Once again, we remember God. We turn in that direction. Yeah. All right. Thank you to both of you. Salamu alaikum. Thank you. Thank you. Alaikum salam. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. We welcome feedback at onelightchat at gmail.com. That's onelightchat, O-N-E-L-I-G-H-T-C-H-A-T at gmail.com. Or leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash Veronica Polo. Peace and blessings.